Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God of truth, we ask that You send Your Spirit down upon us to be with us this night. During this season of Lent that we might reflect upon our own lives and the journey that we have taken and the choices and decisions that we have made to seek out truth, goodness, and nobility as children of God. May the Spirit fill our hearts this evening with knowledge, with wisdom, and with charity. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, thank you for being here tonight. As a teacher, 150 students are forced to be with me every day. It's humbling to see uh, so many of you here tonight of your own free will and know that I am grateful for that. Tonight's talk, what is truth? John Paul II and moral relativism. A discussion of John Paul II's response to the problem of moral relativism as we find it in his encyclical, Veritatis Splendor. An encyclical, an authoritative teaching that the church gives out for the faithful and as well for all of God's people. This encyclical addresses a deep concern that John Paul II saw in our society. And that is man replacing God with himself. Replacing truth with his own ideas with his own thoughts and reflections. Now, John Paul II, before he was Pope, was Carol Wojtyla. And he grew up under two of the most notorious um, leaders of our modern time, Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin. Poland as a country where he grew up from a historical standpoint, was in some ways caught in the crossfires of the ideologies of Hitler's Nazi party and Stalin's communism. We were grateful to Joseph Stalin for coming to bat for the Allies in World War II as we called on him to squeeze out Hitler from the East, we owed him a debt of gratitude. That debt of gratitude was paid with the country of Poland. And so John Paul II goes from Hitler's control to Stalin's control. And the play between these two ideologies forms this young man who is at the time in seminary and becoming a young priest and then cardinal and eventually pope. And it gives him a unique perspective on the human person and his relationship to God and his brothers and sisters. If you take a look at the PowerPoint, there are four objectives that John Paul II re reflects on or that come out of 
his reflection in Veritati's splendor. And what he speaks about is a loss of absolute truth. That is, an objective or universal reality outside of our individual, subjective ideas. A loss of objective truth does four things. It makes morality subjective to the individual. You now will determine whether or not your actions are morally good or bad based upon your own concepts and your own ideas. No longer is there an objective reality by which you are judging human activity. We see this prevalent within our young people. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what is good for me. Second, it enslaves us. It enslaves humanity to a false notion of freedom. We're going to take a look at this from the academic standpoint. We've had a little controversy lately in Catholic education. Notre Dame has invited Barack Obama to give the commencement at this year's graduation. We'll get there. We'll talk about it. Don't need to turn it into a politics issue. But the response from one academic person to another was this. To not allow Barack Obama to speak at Notre Dame would be a loss of academic freedom at that institution. I say no. I say you have a wrong understanding of freedom. We'll get to that. Three, a loss of absolute truth makes man's fulfillment an illusion. What's going to happen here is man's going to think that he arrives at his destination. I've arrived at my goal. I have fought the good fight. I am now here. Celebrate. Hip-hop hooray. Oh. But what happens? Yeah, that goes way back to uh, a song. I don't know if anybody else knows it. Uh, uh, a, a rap group from my high school days. But we celebrate, and, and humanity is going to celebrate like they've arrived at some great destination. But guess what? The destination, John Paul says, is an illusion. Elvis Presley, an illusion. Janis Joplin, an illusion. We could continue. Four. It facilitates a culture of death. John Paul II is the one that has made this sane common in our modern day. A culture of life versus a culture of death. And so what John Paul II knows is that he's seen a culture of death at its zenith, at its, at its pinnacle, at its summit. He's seen that as a child growing up between Hitler and Stalin between Nazism and communism. And now he steps out into the Western world as Pope. He comes to Rome, to the Western civilization, and he looks out at the West, and he says, be careful, for you know not what you do or where you tread. For if you follow this ideology that has uh, uh, moral relativism at its heart, you will facilitate, you will find yourself on a slope which brings about a culture of death. 
has America facilitated and brought about a culture of death? Absolute truth. What is it? We've said it is reality that is objective and universal. Meaning, it is free from restriction, from exception. It is independent of external conditions for existence. Subjective individual versus objective reality. Here's how I always show my students what I'm talking about. An archer shoots his arrow at a given target. You see, objectively, the target exists, correct? You put it out there, let's say it's a little doe, Bambi. Get Bambi, put him up on the hay bale. <laughs> the arrow is my subjective idea, my judgment about a particular reality. Let's say Jesus. I believe Jesus is God. That's my subjective idea. To have a sound judgment about reality, which is universally true and absolute, I need for my arrow, my judgment, to correspond to that target or that bullseye, which is objective. The moral life comes into picture now. And we find that as creatures, we've been created. We find as creatures that our origin wasn't caused by us, but by a creator. By a creator. A divine creator. And we look around and we say, you know what? I kind of feel like I'm on a journey. I kind of feel like I'm walking a path of life. That somebody put me on. It's a board game that we were placed into. Our goal in this game of life is to attain abundance, perfection, excellence. You see, we were created different than the rest of the world. What does it mean to have dignity as a human person? Well, dignity means that you have an elevated character that you are different somehow than the rest of the created world. Self-respect, nobility. As a human person, you have nobility no matter what. You see, on this game, you're different. Why? Because God loved you so much. He said, I want you to choo freely choose to follow me. I want you to freely choose to love me. I want you to freely choose to become what I created you to be. And that is perfect as your creator, as your father, is perfect. And so, here we are. We're looking to attain abundant life, nobility, goodness, and truth. And so we're on this journey, if you will, towards abundance. In the moral life, we need directions. We need a map. We need somebody to help give us guidance. And so, we have laws, natural laws, we have God and his divine laws, that are going to govern society. And here's the problem with part of our, our, our 
current American society is that we refuse to accept that civil law is a reflection of natural law and divine law. We think civil law comes out of our collective agreement. If civil law comes out of our collective agreement, then guess what? Majority rules. Majority rules. We'll see how that plays out. But we're going to need some, some direction. And so we need a map for life. And on this map of life, all right, we want to find freedom. That's ultimately, I think, what we search for, do we not? We want freedom. For instance, does anybody in here play the guitar? We got a couple of guitar players? All right. So, do you have the freedom to play the guitar? Yes. All right. You have the freedom to play the guitar, not because you can do whatever you want, but because you have put in the time to excel. You have if you will, navigated the path of learning chords, finger movements, strums. I don't know what else goes into playing the guitar. Uh, how to hold the pick. Um, you, you've navigated that. And because you have navigated the rules, the boundaries, the guidelines for how to play the guitar, I don't think I need this. Because you followed the rules, you now have freedom to pursue excellence at playing the guitar. That's going to be our goal. We want to try and find out what the tools are, what the, the instruments are, what the chords are, how to use the pick at the game of life so that we can pursue in freedom excellence. Now, what John Paul says about the moral life and about these boundaries and these rules, these laws of nature, is that we're called to be obedient to them. On that sixth slide there, we're called to be obedient to the boundaries. I'd circle and highlight that because this is where the, the rubber meets the road with modern society, especially my young people. In class, if I tell somebody to do something immediately because they're 17 years old, they say no. It's a part of being 17 years old. As a matter of fact, it's especially a part of being 16 years old. Now, is Chris here? Oh, shh. close your ears, will you? Thank you. Um, confirmation, we confirm our kids at 16 years old What's the most rebellious time for, a, for a, a student? 16 years old, sophomore in high school. The most rebellious time in high school, 16 years old. Let's, let's confirm them then. <laughs> I'm, Chris still has his, Chris isn't paying attention. So anyways, my reflection would be this. Maybe we'd want to confirm them at 15, 17, so any other time other than 16, other than a sophomore. But that's my reflection. Obedience. The problem is, if we're not obedient to the rules of the game, then we get lost in an illusion. You see, our young people today, our society today, the culture of death, wants to play the game without boundaries. All right, go ahead. Kick the ball around wherever you want and run to bases that don't exist. Right? Sure, you can run to the left, to the right, behind, forward, up. If there's no boundaries, there's no ability to achieve the end. If there's no boundaries. All right? Now, there is boundaries. We're called to be obedient to those boundaries. And that right there is part of what uh, uh, our society struggles with, is that we're saying, you know what? You need to be obedient. 
well, we don't want to follow what other people tell us. I have a natural aversion to anything my mother says to do. <laughs> Anybody else like that? It's like, I remember I was 19 years old. I went to Northern State for one year. And I came back that summer, and my mom said, you know what? I just don't think that Northern's a good place for you. I said, guess what, Mom? I'm going back. <laughs> I changed my mind, as a matter of fact. I'm going back. Uh, as a human person, rebellion is in our nature. Think about it. Adam and Eve. Don't eat from the fruit of that tree. You can do whatever else you want. Kind of. That isn't really what he said, but. Obedience to the, to the voice of God. Now, freedom. What is freedom for, we said? In that second bullet there on the sixth slide, we said freedom is for fulfillment. We're trying to be perfect. We're trying to achieve perfection, goodness, truth, nobility. We're trying to become exactly what God created us to be. All right? And freedom's going to allow us to pursue excellence in haste. So if we don't work at understanding the, the rules to the game of life, and if we don't work at practicing and following, being obedient to the rules to the game of life, what don't we have? Freedom. You see, I can't have, I don't have the freedom to play the guitar because I've never taken the time to practice, the effort to understand, the will to follow in order to be able to excel at the game of life. You see, our society kind of wants to say, hey, if you can do it, do it. And so we just go off and we kind of act. And we, we you know what? Our society acts like it knows what it's, what it's doing, and it has no idea what it's doing. It's playing a guitar upside down. Actually, didn't Jimi Hendrix do that? <laughs> All right, flipping over. Ooh, this is good. I need, it. I need an amen out of you. Amen? Amen. Amen? All right. I'm just getting warmed up here. Yeah. That's exactly right, and that's where we're going to go. Now, how do I know what I want? That's where we're going to have to, we're going to, have to stop and say, all right, we have to look at what we, what we want, what we desire. That's where we're going to go. Freedom. What do we have freedom for? We have freedom for what is good, noble, and true. A, a, a popular dis, uh, problem in our society is that we flipped freedom and free will. The first thing you do in apologetics is you define terms. You define terms. Why? So that you understand what you're talking about and you have a common base to start from in dialogue with another. You see, I can be talking about God in, in, with you and in, in your understanding of God and my understanding of God could be two totally, completely different things. I could be talking about this God of love and providence, this God of care and guidance. Your God might be a God of justice, vengeance, your, your God might be a God that punishes. Your God might be a God that if you don't do what he asks, if you don't offer sacrifice, you don't get corn. You have to understand the terms of what you're talking about. Freedom. What is freedom? Freedom is the ability to choose the good. 
the freedom, freedom is the ability to choose what is noble and what is true. Versus free will. Free will is the ability to choose right or wrong. The act of choosing is free will. Choosing what is good is freedom. What do we do to somebody that does something which is not good in our society? For instance, I choose to rob my neighbor's house. What happens to me? I get caught, assuming. What, what happens to me? Hopefully you're in prison. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right? So we don't give people the freedom to do whatever they want in society, do we? We give them the freedom to do what is good, to do what is noble, and to do what is true. See, that's what I want to inspire young people, you, us, everyone, too, is freedom to do what is excellent, what is good, what is noble. Not just to be a base animal, not just to get by. I want you to live this life with excellence. And in order to do so, we must understand the rules to the game. Freedom versus free will. I'll go back to the Notre Dame controversy. All right, so Notre Dame invites Barack Obama to be their commencement speaker. Um, and I don't think I want to get in too much to it. But one of the reply from an academic, I've been listening to a few academic type of conversations in regards to it. Uh, by the way, it's, it's, it's raging at an academic level. It, it hasn't hit the popular level yet. It will come. Um, but what they said was that academic freedom would be hindered if we didn't allow Barack Obama to come and speak. Really? First, the problem is, is that you don't understand that this is a Catholic university, which has obligations and duties to live up to the morals and teachings, the authority and the institution of the Catholic Church. If that's not what you want to do, that's fine. Remove the flagship of Catholic. Now, freedom. The problem is is that society says we ought to have freedom of, of, of intellectual in t uh, uh, pursuits and things like this. No. I said to my kids, no. One of the kids, but shouldn't we tolerate all people? No. You don't ter tolerate a murderer? I'm sorry, but if I'm in a college and, and, and I hear that a young lady has been violated, has been raped, I'm not going to say tolerate it, right? If your kid's messing around underneath the sink with one of those bottles that has the little skull and crossbones on it, you don't just let him play with it, do you? Because what will it do to him? It will kill him. What did I say? What did John Paul II have to say? The fourth bullet, when we lose absolute truth, we facilitate a culture of. I'm telling you people, we allow our children to play with poison. Not liquid, it's ideas. Yes, Mary Lou. Oh. That's going to be Mary Lou, and, and I would love to go there. I'm going to try and stick and go through this. I'll give you a quick, I'll give you a quick response, and then you and I can, we can sit and have a little dialogue. <laughs> can he go there? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he can. Now, should there be a discussion about whether or not he should be allowed to speak there? That's where the question is. They've invited him, and now the question is surfacing. All right, 
is this a good thing? Should we allow this? Some people want to say, well, he's not speaking about abortion. He's speaking about something else. That's all right. We should allow him to come and to present himself. It's an honorable thing to have the president come, the first black president. Don't get me wrong. And I told, told my kids this. I said, don't get me wrong. If Barack Obama came to Sioux Falls, I'd go listen to him speak. But do, but, but do I have a problem if a Catholic institution is the one that he's coming to speak on behalf of? That's where the, the, the questions come into play. Uh, it's going to be any number of them, Mary Lou. His uh, stance on abortion is going to be a primary red flag. Yes. Stem cell research, some other things are going to come in. It's going to be the moral questions. All right? You're all right, Mary Lou. Don't worry, Mary Lou, you're not the only one. You have the courage to speak up if you have questions. That's not always a bad thing. I respect that. Slide two. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. All right, highlight, circle, underline. Because Christ is going to come into the picture. Christ is going to be your compass on this board game. On this set. Christ is going to be the compass that guides you. In human activity, Jesus Christ is the one that has the potential to show you the guidelines to excellence so that you can walk the path as perfectly as possible. He is the means to abundance of life, and he says this time and time and time again. Where? In the Scriptures. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who comes to me shall not die, but shall have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Christ says, I am the way, the truth. All right? Right there. He is absolute truth. Christ is claiming that He is the moral compass by which all human activity is judged as good or bad. All right? The absolute compass. Let's give you an example of a little bigger picture. Let's take it out of the context of the game of life um, and let's put it into a parable from the Scriptures. The parable of the rich young man. The rich young man, you see, is like us on the map. Correct? He's living life. He's living large, as a matter of fact, we might say. All right? He understands, though, that there's more. He understands that he hasn't been satisfied. He hasn't satiated his thirst. What does Christ say to the woman at the well? What does Christ say to that woman at the well that he encounters? You will never thirst again. His thirst hasn't been satiated and he knows it. Our, do, do, our young people know they have not been satiated for the most part. The problem is, is they don't know where to go to receive and to drink from the water of everlasting life. Don't you think? I, I've seen a lot of young people out there that have a great desire for truth, that are coming to the faith, that are active in the faith. There's lots of hope out there, folks. Lots of hope. But there's still a group of people that they just don't quite know where to go. That's the parable of the rich young man. So he understands that there's more. He understands that he has a restlessness within him. 
Uh, I think back to St. Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. One of the most famous quotes of all history in my mind. Uh, If you've not read St. Augustine's The Confessions, it's a beautiful book about sin, redemption, about perfection, about being on a map of life. Um, So, he knows Christ has the answer, and so he goes to him. But what happens? In the story, the rich young man goes away sad. And it says because Christ calls him to give up all that he owns and to follow him. I believe he says, go sell all that you own and and, and then come follow me. And he walks away sad. I think that our people might be at this point in America. I think that people might be walking away sad. It's not because they don't know Christ or the church or positive things have uh, the ability to satiate them, but it's because that they know what it's going to take. Sacrifice. We live in a generation unlike the generation that some here grew up in. We live in a generation which refuses to sacrifice. We fight wars. What did we do during World War II? I didn't live through it, but from what I hear. Did people in America participate in World War II? In what ways? Rationing? Donations? Worked in factories? Women went to work? Sent their children overseas? Now, we've been in a few wars lately, haven't we? Has there been any sacrifice to that level? Very little. Hence the reason when somebody writes a book about that generation, they call them the the greatest. Unfortunately, we need to pick back up those attributes and habits of sacrificing for a greater good. The parable of the rich young man, he goes away sad because he can't let go of his possessions. You see, discipline and sacrifice are necessary for freedom. Discipline to sit down every day for an hour on the guitar and practice. The sacrifice of not being out with your friends for that time. Not being able to go to the roller skating rink. Or wherever else you might have been going. You see, if you don't have discipline, if you don't have sacrifice, you can never achieve freedom in this life. This is why the human virtues, the cardinal virtues, the hinges, are so essential to the Christian. Because they are the flower bed. They are the soil upon which the flowers of the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity spring. You see, if you don't have temperance, prudence, justice, fortitude, you're going to struggle with faith, hope, and charity. Also with that, I would put in there delayed gratification. It's a missing virtue in our society. Delayed gratification. You see, at one point, we used to try and save up in order to buy something. Now, we just, we just buy it. Do we have a problem in our nation with credit right now? And 
And I don't know who, at one point when the housing market fell, I, I said to somebody, I said to, hey, wife, I said to my wife, Laura. I probably shouldn't say, hey, wife. <laughs> I, I agree, I agree. I apologize, Laura, if you're listening to this tape in the future. I love you greatly. <laughs> we, we, I, I, Laura, whoever I was saying to it, the credit cards are the next place that's going to fall. And, and it is. It's coming. We're there. The credit cards are going to collapse. Why? Because we refuse to delay our gratification for our objectives. We want it and we want it no. now. If I want to eat, I eat. You know how much of the world gets to eat when they want to eat? Not a lot. I think, I, I think two or three dollars a day is like an average wage for most of the world. I forget exactly what my stat is. I, I teach justice and morality at O'Gorman, and we start with some of those statistics about what the rest of the world makes in relationship to us, what, how they live in relationship to us. Um, they, by nature, have to have delayed gratification. They have to build up. They have to work towards their goals and their objectives. In America, if we want it, we want to have it now. When I lived in Rome, my second greatest struggle, other than not being able to speak Italian, it was awful, um, was not being able to eat when I wanted to eat. Fast foods, non-existent. They have McDonald's and McDonald's only. There was a few of them located throughout the city of Rome, and they weren't open 24-7. They didn't have convenience stores. You couldn't just go get a Coke down the street. You actually had to go to family restaurants between the hours. Well, they did stay up late. That was always nice, but only on Friday and Saturday, not during the rest of the week. And so it was an interesting perspective for me to stop and say, you know what, Joe? You don't know how to delay the gratification of food. You know what I learned? I learned how to enjoy food in Rome. You go and you sit and you have conversation. You get a table at a restaurant in Rome for two, four people. That table's yours the, for the night. They don't expect that you're leaving so that they can get somebody else in, so that they can make more money. The fast food mentality, the, the, the come and go, doesn't, doesn't exist. And so it was a good perspective. Delayed gratification. If we don't learn to delay our gratification, all right, we're never going to be able to achieve freedom through discipline and sacrifice. Now, why is it that we struggle with this? The second uh, uh, kind of bigger bullet there, redemptive or sacrificial suffering. You see, what happen, what's happening in our society is we look at sacrifice and suffering, and we say that suffering Can everybody kind of see? All right. Suffering has no value in our society. Evil. It's suffering is evil. It's something that should be avoided at all costs. You combine that with a neglect of God, like we've said, where you turn God into your image. I create subjectively my own understanding of what is absolutely true and real. I create God in my own image. We neglect God. We put Him down as a lower priority. We lose control, or we, we try to control life and death. We lose the vision of life as a gift. Life is no longer a gift. Life is mine. It's not a gift. It's mine. 
What do you mean if I'm sick? I can't just choose to end it? No, you can't. Life is a gift. And even if we don't want it, we still have an obligation and a duty. Boundaries? We still have an obligation and a duty to respect it until its natural end. All right. So that's just a little bit on suffering. And what I, what I talk to my young people about is I said, if you guys are not willing to suffer, you can never gain excellence and freedom. You can never gain the, the abundance of life that we seek. Does our society like to sacrifice? Not really. Not really. We're kind of selfish. We're kind of egocentric. We're kind of in it for ourselves. And John Paul II in Very Tati Splendor is very well aware of American Western society and ideals where the individual is placed at the center and it becomes egocentric and about me. And everything depends upon how it affects me. And we lose concern for the larger society, the family, the community in which we live, the city, the state. Our priorities get flipped around. So sacrifice is also going to be necessary for abundance. This is why Christ changes human history. It's Christ's crucifixion on the cross that changes the nature of suffering in your own lives. You see, now when you suffer, guess what you can do? Who said it? I, I, I always say, go talk to your grandparents. Maybe your mom and dad. My, mom, my, my kids' mom and dads are the baby boomers, typically, is kind of about where they're at. So sometimes baby boomers got it, but typically grandparents definitely do. The saying of, offer it up. Offer it up. I say to my kids, what does that mean? I don't know, give it up? <laughs> yes, give it up. Give it up to who? Give it up to God. You see, when we say offer it up, what we're saying is offer it up to Christ on the cross. Unite your suffering to Christ's suffering on the cross, and guess what happens? It's paradoxical. It's unbelievable. It transforms and it changes the nature of suffering. Suffering now doesn't become something that is evil, but it's something that can sanctify and make you holy. You see, if you're struggling, that's just another opportunity for you to step into the shoes of Christ and to say, Lord, Lord, Lord. We don't cry out to the Lord anymore when it comes to suffering. We don't say, Lord, Lord. We say, be done with it. If we have suffering, get rid of it. If I'm pregnant, I need to find a way out. Facilitating a culture of death? Check this out. 1960s, what comes along? The pill. 1970, what's legalized? Abortion. You see, we want to be able to do as we choose. We want to have, be able to have sex freely. And if there's a consequence to that action, oh, shucks, we've got to find a way out. All right, let's try and get rid of the consequences here. Science, what can you help with? What can you do for us? Ah, oh, we have the pill. Awesome. Thank you. We love you. See you later. All right? Now, uh-oh, it doesn't work all the time. Hmm. Now what? Hey, science, come here. Come here. You see, science without morality, 
John Paul II said that democracy without morality. He said democracy without morality is ultimately self-destructive. Ultimately self-destructive. I'm getting the cue here. i got to move. This is good stuff, isn't it? Oh, amen. All right, let's, let's kind of walk through a couple of things. Chris, what do you got here? How many, how many minutes am I looking at? Two? Five, two? Oh, it's, wow. Wow. We're flying. It's 720, folks. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else on a Friday night. All right. Let's take a step back here. Um, or a step forward, a couple steps forward. Moral relativism, where am I at here? Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad you're here, Mary Lou. Let's take, all right, let's flip over, moral relativism. All right, go down to page two, last point. This is a transition, all right, where we're, not, we're, we're called not to be conformed to this world, to a culture of death like the whiteboard shows where euthanasia uh, uh, teaches suffering. It has no value. It, 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 it repla- uh, we replace God as the number one priority and decision maker. And then we look at things like an aging population. What happens with euthanasia? We look at the human person no longer with dignity, no longer with self-respect, nobility, and we say, you are about a monetary value. If you cannot produce in this society, you're out. You're out. Careful, we're going there. We're going there. Moral relativism. What happens here with moral relativism is the circumstances of activity determine whether or not is good or, true, good or right, or, or right or wrong. So, abortion, an example of moral relativism, abortion. All right, well, I don't think abortion's right unless. What, give me an example. Uh, well, no, you guys can't give me an example. You guys probably agree with me. Uh, but what would our society say? Rape or incest? Well, if it's rape or incest, Circumstances determine that it's therefore okay. That's moral relativism. Now, as Catholics, we stop and we say, all right, we'll, try and we'll go along with you there, but we don't agree with it because we think that we can try and get rid of 97% of them. But no, we don't actually think that it's okay to have an abortion because of rape or incest. That's moral relativism. All right, your conscience falls captive to an individual's opinions or feelings. Flipping over to, fr- to three... Man no longer searches for God, but defines God in his own image. Mob mentality, majority rules when it comes to morality in society. That's page three, first slide. Mob mentality, majority rules. Uh, It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at America and say that's where we're at. Pluralism is the second effect. That is, all ideas or beliefs are valid and okay. That's the mess we're in. The greatest problem I have with my students is trying to teach them or trying to help them come to an understanding that Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church is the one true church established by God through Jesus Christ on the person of Peter as the means to salvation for all of humanity. It's a tough, tough sell for my kids. It's a tough one for them to swallow. Well, what about Buddhism? Well, what about Hinduism? All right, well, yes, we have respect for them, and, and, but... Moral relativism, I determine what is good and true for me. This is the reason that hot-button topics are so emotional in slide two. The reason hot-button topics are so emotional is because now it's personal. If somebody attacks me and my beliefs, guess what? They're not attacking me. They're attacking Jesus Christ, and they're attacking God, his Father. They're not attacking me. I can let it slide. They can slap me. That's all right. 
it's not my beliefs. It's the rules and boundaries that have been determined for me. You see, though, if our society stops and says, these are my beliefs, and then we attack them, it's personal. This is why you see so much anger come from the anti-Catholic, the, anti, the, the pro-moral relativism side. is because for them it is personal, because it is their idea. It is their opinion. All right? Uh, moral relativism doesn't accept the limits, necessarily. The freedom of choice versus the right choice. Freedom of choice versus the right choice. Um, what happens here with moral relativism in that third slide is the compass is removed from the map. You, you've taken the compass off of the map and you're now on a journey where you're your own compass. And what happens is you go off in search. You're like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. You're on the walk to the wizard, wizard. I don't even know how the song goes. <laughs> you're on the golden path and you get to the crossroads and uh-oh. You've taken Jesus Christ the compass off of the map and now you look around and you're going to go off and search of freedom and excellence. But it's going to be a, an illusion. You're going to get lost. Because you have made laws arbitrary. You have made natural law, objective, divine law, arbitrary. It's no longer necessary. You've taken it off of the map. And personal authority becomes the trump card. What happens? The cross is emptied of, the, of its power. The gospel becomes simply a good book. Can't tell you how many times I've heard that. But that's a great book. Yeah, I, I think Jesus is a good man, a good person. He has some good ideas. He, he, no, he has the best ideas. Suffering becomes something to be avoided. We already looked at that. And it leaves us unfulfilled and sad, just like the rich young man. We are lost in a house of illusion. Our culture celebrates such views. Not only does it promote it, it celebrates it. Flip over and we'll end. A culture of death is facilitated. And man is lost. Look at the second bullet there and tell me if you have not experienced that. Humanity is enslaved, not you personally, but heard somebody else express that. Humanity is enslaved by religion and an absolute transcendent in, uh, morality. That somehow the Catholic Church, that somehow religion is, is the, the, the destruction of the world. The reason all the wars in, wars in the world happen is because of religion. You just want to kind of be like, come here. No, it's not true. Um, then you stop and you say, yeah, it is, it is. And so you stop and you say, all right, well, let's talk about hospital systems and education systems and this and that. But where does that viewpoint come from? It's because those people are lost in an illusion. They don't have the compass anymore. And they've become the one that determines what's good and bad and what's right and wrong and what is excellence. Therefore, wherever I stand is excellent. You see it in education a lot. Everybody's good. Oh, good job. You know, you pass everybody even if they actually failed. Are you kidding? Now, the truth of reality is that we have been created by a loving God, Mary Lou. We have been created by a loving God. A God who has a plan for us. He set up a map of life for us to obtain perfection and fulfillment. He's given us a compass, the way, the truth, and the life. Truth exists, absolutely. And He seeks to encounter you personally.
The truth isn't something. It's somebody. Father John Carapi, the truth isn't something. It's somebody. Namely, Jesus Christ. And you can encounter him every day through the blessed sacrament in reception of the Most Holy Eucharist. What a great gift. The church has been to the world. The church has been to us that have been privileged to call it home. I pray and I hope for you that as Easter comes, that the darkness lifts in whatever areas it needs to lift in your own lives, that it lifts in our society and in our culture, and that we might come to see the truth in the Holy Eucharist, the truth in Jesus Christ. I give you a challenge to witness and evangelize, to preach the gospel at all times. Use necessary words. When necessary, use words. Don't forget to look for the splinter in your own eye. This is important. We want to do this with charity, with, with compassion. If we, if we forget to pull the splinter out of our own eye, it, 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 it hinders the integrity of the message. The integrity of the message somehow is hindered because of our faults. Now we can't get rid of all the splinters. But just make sure that you go in with a compassionate and understanding heart that we are all sinners as we seek to give the truth to the world. Amen? Amen. 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 Let us pray. Lord God, you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, as the way, the truth, and the life, as the compass, as the absolute reality by which goodness and nobility are judged and found. We thank you for creating us out of love, for a divine plan, and we ask that this perfection and fulfillment, that this thirst for life within each of us and within our world might be found this night, might be found within our hearts this Lenten season. And may Easter once again arise within us, hope, Christian hope, for the promises which you have given us. We pray through the intercession of your blessed mother who leads us to the truth, Jesus Christ. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming. To you. I bow to the nobility of you. <laughs> Questions? Now, it's 7.30, so I apologize to Chris um, for... Um, but if we do have a couple of questions, um, the, there's a speaker or there's a mic that will come around that you can ask him into, and uh, we'll we'll limit it here. We got to get going, I'm sure here. But uh, if we got a couple, yep. Good evening. I love your talk. Thank, Thank you. you very much. I have a question for you, and I'm kind of playing devil's advocate. Yep. How would you answer somebody who says the Catholic per per uh, Church has no place to speak on this issue? because of the scandals, and then going back in history because of what happened during the Middle Ages, because people being burned at the stake, yada, yada, yada. 
Um, and again, I'm, I know how to answer this, but I'd like to know how you would answer it. You're, you would probably answer it better yes. than me. Well, I so don't how do you know res- that. How do you respond to that I, I would say kind this. of criticism from a non-believer? That's, that's a good question, and it's a valid question. Uh, because we have to answer it every single day because of the situation that our church is, has been in with the sex abuse scandal. Um, impeccability versus infallibility. Uh, we do not claim to be perfect, but as an institution established by Christ through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the church does have authority to lead and guide us into truth um, w- w- with the security that we're not going to be led astray. So that's the short answer. We're not perfect. Our uh, bishops, our priests, our people are not perfect. St. Peter would be the one example I would give you who denies Christ. Christ knew that. Don't forget, Christ knew that he was going to de- deny him. And, and yet Jesus says uh, to him after the resurrection on the shore that uh, I still choose you to, to lead and guide my flock and my sheep, to feed them, to nourish them. And so we do not claim to be perfect, yet the church is and can lead us infallibly. By the way, I'm on a substitute teacher, so I'm going to high school. There you go. I hope I get to teach your class sometime. Sure, sure. I really enjoy that very much. Awesome. Uh, do we have a question? One more question or so. Anybody else have a question they might want to ask? One, uh-oh. Uh-oh, former roommate. Former roommate, don't reveal anything that might incriminate me. I just want to hear uh, your thoughts on the Pope's trip to Africa and the controversy uh, made by his statements. I know they only looked at you know, a fraction of his full statement, but in terms of how um, the continent should deal with, you know, the spread of AIDS and, and Pope's words. and that, That's a great question, and it, it's a, a direct example that we can use here in regards to moral relativism, and one of the, the, the consequences or implications is that we slide slowly, or not so slowly, into a culture of death, and that is this, just like abortion, um, just like contraceptive, that is a remedy for an activity which shouldn't be approved of to begin with. Um, I, I, I re- just read one, I can't give you any knowledge or information, just Googling and looking at it, where a doctor in Africa... Oh, the, con- the controversy is, is that the Pope said to Africa, which country in general? He, he visited Kenya, I think is where he is. He said to them that condoms are not the answer to the spread of the AIDS epidemic on your continent, in your country. And he basically said this is not a legitimate means to solve your problem. So he didn't give his authority for it. Um, So that's the situation, and he's been heavily criticized, as you would expect, by the popular media. Well, he simply is stopping and saying, he's going back to the eternal truths that John Paul II especially has spoke about in regards to who the human person is and how sexuality um, is an activity that, that, how that person should engage in this behavior uh, of sexuality. the modern world wants to say, well, we can fix it through this method. John Paul II's addressing the heart of the method, and that is it's an issue of sexuality, not an issue about how we stop the spread of AIDS. And he calls us to sacrifice. This is what I know. He calls us to abstinence. He calls us to chastity. He calls us to, uh, to marital relations. What is it that a culture of death won't accept? Well, it won't accept that obedience, that authority to the call to the, 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 the solution to the origin of the problem, and that is it's an origin of sexuality. 
and that we need to look at sexuality in the context of marriage and marriage alone, and within the context of marriage, possibly even abstinence. Ooh, wow. You mean the Pope might call a married couple not to engage in sexual activity? Well, that's possibly what we're looking at. You see, and, and that's the other thing. Now, I don't know. Somebody wanted to tell me that this is still open for discussion. Chris is going to be a better, better one to say than me that somehow that this question has not been defined that within the marital context that a condom could be used. That discussion, I think, is still ongoing. And Chris is shaking his head yes. So there is where it might be a call to abstinence within marriage. But... Uh, if one has AIDS and the other does not. If one, thank you. If one has AIDS and the other does not, what, what can we do? Can we have, uh, use a condom or some sort of obstruction in order not to spread the disease? The, that still maybe is being answered, but not necessarily no. Nope. But, but abstinence is on one side. I just wanted to make the comment that uh, the condoms might not be also bad in and of themselves. You know, except for an idea called moral hazard. And the moral hazard, I read it, came across that in relations to the economics of today. The moral hazard of having a backup, a bailout, is that, well, then everybody just waits for the bailout. The same thing with the condom. Uh, if you got a backup, a bailout, you know, then you don't have to follow the, the, the actual you laws. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have, you don't to, have sacrifice. to try and live so, according to the better way. Right. So or, it creates a bigger... Uh, culture just keeps rolling downhill facilitating a culture and so it's only path. the absolute truth that can actually step up and stop that thank you yeah good stuff good stuff we should do it again don't you think um i think with that that we could we could maybe end unless there is one last question but chris uh thank you yes i will stick around i will stick around um, and hang out, and I'd love you know to, to converse with you guys and, and to do that. But obviously, I know we have babysitters and other things, and puppies waiting for us. And <laughs> if it, those that don't know, I got a puppy. Yeah, we could stay. Uh, some of us, I probably could too, stay all night. My wife, on the other hand, might be calling here. But <laughs> so, thank you so much. Thank you.